The following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Crisis situations. And most of them were midlife crisis types of situation. You know, you know I'm not happy anymore. I don't feel fulfilled. Uh, my needs aren't being met. I'm getting older and I want to reclaim my youth. Uh, I feel stuck. Uh, I want out. And so many men, uh, we both agreed, were doing unfaithful and ir- irresponsible and self-centered kinds of things like leaving their families. And I said to Nick, I said, this is so common a thing that uh, nowadays whenever I see someone who's over 35 years old driving a red sports car, I just assume that he's in a midlife crisis. (laughs) And his jaw dropped a little bit and it got really quiet. And and I said, you drive one, don't you? (laughs) And, And he said, yeah, he said, it's a convertible Corvette. But he said, you have to understand something. He said, it's a company car. (laughs) So he may have been the exception to the rule. Well, Psalm 71. Please turn to Psalm 71, about right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 71 is written or actually uh, prayed by a man who is in the middle of midlife problems serious midlife problems, uh, life-threatening, it seems, as we read the psalm, and and not the midlife crisis of character and and self-centeredness that we so commonly see today, but some kind of really bad problems which he cannot solve and over which he is stressed, like we all get. And this man knows God. He has known and followed and worshipped God all of his life, we'll find out. And he has been in situations before, just like the one he is undergoing now. He's been there before. So he knows what to do, and he does it, and things change. This is a great study for our day. Psalm 71 shows us how a Christian does things right when he's under crisis. This is a a psalm that's how to do crisis. Um, Don't zone out, please, if you're uh, not middle-aged, because there are some truths and principles for the young and for middle-aged and also for the elderly. Uh, Psalm 71 is a prayer, so as I read it now, please just imagine this middle-aged, stressed-out man man going to his room, uh, closing the door behind him, getting down on his knees and then putting his head between his hands and praying. And this is what he prays, Psalm 71. And and pay attention, follow along. Observe how during just the reading of the psalm, you'll see how how his outlook and attitudes change and how the fervent prayer of this righteous man really does change a lot. Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, 
from the grasp of evil and cruel men. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become like a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. For my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. And they say, God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. Be not far away from me, O God. Come quickly, O my God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. But as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, though I know not its measure. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim, proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when, I'm, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare the power to the next generation, your might to those who are to come. Your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God, you who have done great things. Though you have made me see troubles many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth you will, bring, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once again. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have redeemed. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long, for those who want to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. <clears throat> well, the first thing we realize is, this, is that this uh, middle-aged, stressed man is a believer in the one true living God who has revealed himself in this book, the Bible. A thousand years before Jesus was even born, uh, this man knew... Uh, the fact that God had and, and would redeem him. That's verse 23. I whom you have redeemed. He clearly must have understood the, uh, the meaning of that, that entire animal substitutionary sacrificial um, system in which payment was made. If you remember, an animal was either brought or bought and then sacrificed so that God's wrath on his sin might be appeased and, that so, and so that this man might be justified and again acceptable, made acceptable to God. That's what redemption is all about. It needs be that it costs somebody something to get a person out of his being punished for his sin. This prayer, Psalm 71 understood about a family member paying the price for someone to be brought back into his family, which is something that occasionally happened when someone got in financial difficulties and had to sell himself into a servanthood. 
But we know for sure that this man was a believer because of his first words of prayer. Look at those in verse 1. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Those words would be very unusual in that day. The false gods, the pagan gods of that day were not gods to whom a man could go to find refuge. They were gods, the pagan gods were gods that got angry, gods who were to be feared. If something happened in someone's life or in some kingdom's life, it was because one of the pagan gods was mad, and his anger then needed to be appeased by a sacrifice. The best of all situations in that day was that their false gods were not upset, maybe just existing and and neutral, or were happy because some things had been offered to them uh, recently. But you never found refuge in a pagan god like that. Pagan gods were to be feared. And by the way, uh, so too, first of all, but it's not the end of the story, so too was the God of Israel to be feared. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was a God, first of all, to be feared. We are, first of all, to fear God. In, in Bible Study Fellowship recently, we've been studying the, uh, the life of Moses, and recently Leviticus chapter 16, which is about the Day of Atonement. That was the one day each year in which a, an animal, a goat, was brought and, sa- and sacrificed for the sins of the nation, and then another goat was sent out into the wilderness, the scapegoat. Uh, I was trying to explain this to my class of 10 and 11-year-olds, and I asked them this question. Uh, I said, do any of you have grandparents? And they, they all got smiles on their face. They raised their hand. I do, I do. I said, do, do they brag about you? Uh, yeah. Do, do they love to have you around? Oh, yeah, they're all smiles. Do your grandparents think you're cute? Yeah, do they, do they think you're wonderful? And they said, yeah, they do. And I said, well, your grandparents are wrong. You're, <laughs> you're not. I said to them, and this was the lesson, I said, listen to what God said. Leviticus 16, verse 2. <clears throat> the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. Why? Well, God said, because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. I told the kids in class, now your grandparents might think that you're great, and they might want you to come over whenever you'd like, but God doesn't because of your sin. God is to be feared. That's bad news. Uh, I might have ruined your kid's self-esteem for the rest. I'm sorry, but, but it's true. But that's not the end of the story. The good news is that God himself has provided a way that you can come into his presence. That's called the gospel. And you can take refuge in him by accepting what Jesus did for you when he took his, your sin upon himself and then died in your place. That's the gospel. He can't stand your sin. You cannot stand in his presence as a sinner. You need to fear his presence if you're a sinner. 
But he takes your sin away and you can find refuge in God today in Jesus when you admit your sin, when you acknowledge your need for refuge, and then accept what he's done for you by accepting Jesus as your Savior and then also as your Lord. That's the gospel. Remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? The curtain which kept people out of the presence of God, when Jesus died, that curtain was rent in two. Picturing that now, because of what Jesus did and what he accomplished, now you can not only come near him, but you can find refuge in him as well. What's the application? Well, the application is this. When, when you need to pray, just like the author of the prayer in Psalm 71 did, make your first words these. God, I take refuge in you. That's the only pla- safe place to be. God, I have taken refuge, refuge in you. I have accepted Jesus for what he did. That's how I can even come and pray at this time. God, I have come here before you tonight praying on my knees as a sinner who's saved by grace, and I have found refuge in you. It's the only way you can pray. If you've never recognized and admitted that you recognized your sin and, and admitted that you need refuge because of your sin, then let me encourage you as as Pastor Clark does over and over again, to accept what God has provided for you in Christ. It's the most critical thing in your life. That's the crisis uh, that you're under right now, whether you're young, middle-aged, or old. Well, the next thing we, we realize as we think about this man on his knees praying, uh, we, we are sort of get to understand as he reveals his crisis situation, sort of. He says in verse 2, rescue me and deliver me. Verse 2, save me, be my rock of refuge. Um, save me, verse 3, deliver me from the hand of the wicked. Verse 4, uh, my enemies speak against me. Those who want to kill me conspire together. There's a contract out on his life. And verse 11, they say, God has forsaken him, for no one will rescue no one will rescue him. So not, not only is he in trouble, but God's reputation is at stake because obviously this middle-aged man is known amongst his community to be a believer. And he's been uh, suffering, it seems, for quite a while because uh, uh, the word has gone out and everybody knows about it. Well, again, as in so many of these psalms that we've been studying, the exact uh, specific problem that uh, he is uh, struggling with isn't given, and that's good for us because we can just kind of fill in the line whatever crisis or problem situation uh, we are in right now. And we need not be ashamed as God's people to do so. You know, clearly, um, and we've been seeing this through all of these psalms, God's chosen, beloved, cared-for people do suffer in life. And when they do, like this man, they are drawn and called and forced even to go to God on their knees with their, their head on their bed between their hands. It has happened to this psalm writer. It's happened already to many of you. 
And if it hasn't, it, it will. It's the norm. The Bible says no temptation has seized you that, that is common to man. Um, the, the, the temptation to despair uh, will come to all of us. Despair because of our problems, our crises. Yeah, I, you might say, yeah, I get that, I understand that, but, but what if I've been a believer all of my life? What if I've made a habit of, of always calling upon God? And, and I've been known as a person who praises God and tells others about God and, and is always hoping in God. Won't that make my life easier? You know, if I do things right, don't I somehow get a pass on problems? Well, apparently not. Verse 5 and 6 says, For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. Talks about even being from birth. In verse 17 he says, Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. This middle-aged believer who is now in prayer has been a believer for as long as he can remember. He recounts that he has been praising God his whole life long, just like you want your kids and grandkids to. Not only that, but he's uh, uh, experienced God's deliverance over and over and God's answers to prayer from the age of understanding. He says, from birth I have relied upon you. Now that might be um, for everything that it takes to survive, you know, food, shelter, protection from the elements, parents, uh, a generic kind of, of thing that every living creature could say. But it's more than that because this man also says in verse 5, you have been my hope. And that takes conscious thought about real problems. And you have been my confidence since my youth. As a young man, this, this child trusted in God. And in verse 17, he says, From my youth and to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. He's talking about seeing how God has worked out prob problem situations throughout his life. Let me tell you, he's not talking about principles that he learned in Torah class. Um, children don't get excited about historical facts that they learn in school. They don't rush home from school to share with you with great enthusiasm what they learned about history. But children love to tell you about what they have experienced personally and recently in their life. Kids love to show and tell, don't they? And this psalm writer has been doing show and tell about God for as long as he can remember as a child. Uh, this can happen in kids. Uh, in 2009, uh, this can happen. Um, I've worked at a, uh, an African orphanage four times in the last two years, and these children, uh, these orphan children, they're less than 10 years of age, they praise and they worship God, and they can count and they can recount God's blessings and God's faithfulness and God's deliverance to them. And the reason they can is because from, I mean, they get, they get there as babies, but they've been taught from birth to depend upon and ask God. And they're in situations where they, they need provision, they need protection, 
they need food, clean, uh, uh, clean water and good food. They have had to rely on God as kids, and God has been faithful to them. Um, bottom line, their faith is a real faith, and they can tell you where, when, and, and how God has answered their prayer. Children don't believe and talk so much about what they're told, but they love to share what they have seen and experienced. And those kids in Africa and the writer of this psalm, they've been brought up just right. They can tell you about God's marvelous deeds from their youth, and they can tell you point blank why they have confidence in Him. The question is this, can and do your children do the same thing? Um, There's 80 children. They're not the cream of the crop in Africa. They are abandoned. They're orphan kids. And I was telling my wife this. I I said, I think these orphan children are better off than our grandchildren because these children must and they have learned to depend upon God. They know their Bibles unbelievably well. And they trust in God, they pray to God, God responds and they praise Him for His deeds. The question is, do ours? Um, you know, it's a, it's a parent's and it's a grandparent's responsibility to teach them by words, but also uh, teach them by actions as they watch us that God really does care for us. Think about this. What's more important, that your children have a college fund or your child learning to trust God and rely upon God and then declare His deeds. Our children will be more likely, and let me, let me say that again, your children will be more likely, there's, there's no guarantee in this. You might have, have done things just right, but your kids are wandering. There's no guarantee, but they will be more likely to learn it, and experience it, that is the provision of God, if they see it happen in your own lives. You have to model it. Uh, That's the thing about kids. They don't listen at all to what you say, but they they probably become the way you are. No guarantees, but God tells us what we're to do. Well, the prayer uh, had, had godly teaching and probably some godly role models and And he started trusting God from the get-go, and then he declared God's glorious deeds. That's what the psalm writer says. That's his life. He may not have been number one in his class. He he may not have been chosen to play in the competition soccer, but but he knows and he trusts God. And so in spite of this crisis situation, he continues to have hope. That's verse 14. But as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long. Wow. That's what I want my kids when they're middle-aged to say, I have learned to trust God. I praise Him. I have hope in Him. He's my deliverer. Well, Psalm 71 is really a prayer, and James 5.16 says this, The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And we'll see in this prayer that a great change, in fact, uh, does take place. Because what is happening is that the writer, in his distress, remember, he went to his room distressed. 
He goes to the room, kneels down, puts his head between his hands, uh, acknowledges that he is a dependent child of God with big-time problems, like yours and mine. That's verses 1 through 4. But, but what happens then is that maybe partially consciously, as he's drawn to recall his history, but certainly under the uh, direction of God the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer, this man begins to have his prayer answer. It's as though God the Holy Spirit says, okay, I know about your problems. Let's just now review your past history with problem situations and with God's loving care for you and see if there's any trends, any probabilities, any expectations or principles. How have things worked out for you in the past? What happens when you mix your, you and God and your problems together? Well, when this man does just that, he finds that four, there are four words that come up over and over again. He's reviewing his history with God. He's reviewing his life of faith, and four words are repeated over and over again. <clears throat> the words are praise, declaring, declaring deeds, praise, declaring hope and righteousness. Now this is what should happen in the life of a believer at middle age when she is in crisis, but when also he or she is in the habit of going to God and has learned so and done so in his youth. That man or woman ends up praising God no matter what. That man or woman declares God's deeds. That's what God has done in the past. And that man or woman finds rest and hope in the fact, the sure fact of God's continued deliverance. Because God doesn't change. And God is good. You see, this, this prayer kneels down distressed, calling upon God for help, but soon his focus is off of his crisis and, he, and his focus turns to God who is his deliverer and has been his deliverer. His prayer is starting to avail much. He talks about praise. My mouth is filled with your praise. I will ever praise you. I will praise you more and more. Here's a principle. People who trust God and depend upon God, end up praising God more and more. People who trust God and depend upon God end up praising Him more and more. Probably your praise is proportional to your trust in God. The more you, you trust, the more you praise. That man or woman of faith also ends up declaring God's prior deliverances, just like the psalm writer. He said, To this day I declare your marvelous deeds. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. You who have done great things. So the outcomes of difficult situations in the believer's life, uh, when he depends upon God, they are marvelous, mighty, and great. You know? Those of you who have gone through crisis situations know that. You look back and say, yeah, God did work that out for good. It took a while to understand, but he did. They're marvelous, they're great, they're wonderful. God was, knew what he was doing. And that man or woman ends up in hope. That's a firm assurance. Firm assurance in God. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord. 
But as for me, I will always hope. The believer who ends in faith takes his problems to God ends up with firm assurance that all is well when it's under the control of God who is sovereign in his life. This fervent prayer of this righteous man is changing him, changing his outlook, changing his perspective. This man goes from pleading to praising. His, he's distressed, but he finds his distress turned to joy and anticipation in what God is going to do in this present crisis. And, but, above all, uh, but above all else, in his dealings with, uh, with his people, the prayer is drawn to conclude. I mean, God the Holy Spirit is just, as he's praying there, I don't know if you experience this, as you pray, God the Holy Spirit just keeps pounding away at the truth. Above all else, and I say that because he refers to it five times, this man in prayer goes to God with, in stress. He concludes that God is righteous. Five times he, he refers to the righteousness of God. That means God always does what is right. He's righteous. God defines what is right, and then God does what is right. And that's what this prayer is, is convinced of. Now imagine being that man in crisis and distress, kneeling, pouring his heart out, and then he recalls his past experience with God and coming to the conclusion that in everything God does and has done, he has been right and therefore good. If you knew that God only does what is right to do, as you're, and, and if you knew and believed that God works out every, everything for good, if you knew that yourself, wouldn't you praise God, wouldn't you declare his deeds, and wouldn't you have great hope for the future? Of course you would. That's what this spiritually mature man who's been a, a lived as a believer all his life understands and finds rest and comfort and optimism. He's gone from distressed to optimism. The fervent prayer of a righteous man is availing much. Now this is deep stuff that God has taken this man... He, he goes to his room distressed. God, help me out. I'm, I find refuge in you. I'm distressed. Just help me out of the situation. That's all he wants. But as God, as he prays, God the Holy Spirit reveals him to things to him about God's own character. And it's deep stuff. But it gets even deeper. God reveals truth and comfort and assurance as this man prays. But then God, take, God the Holy Spirit's, Spirit takes this man to the next truthful, logical conclusion. And it's in verse 19. Turn to look at verse 19. Your righteousness, that God, your rightness over all things in my life, your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God, you who have done great things. Who, O God, is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities. Do you see that? That's the English Standard Version. Um, in the NIV it says, uh, Though you have made me see troubles many and bitter. This man, who has found his refuge in God, and who praises God, and he plans to praise God forever and ever, he says without skipping a beat, you could almost miss verse 20 here, 
He says, without skipping a beat and with the, without a bit of questioning or uncertainty and without a bit of complaint, this man says, you, God, have made me see troubles many and bitter. And between the lines, because he does not complain, he says, he's really saying, and that's okay. Matter of fact, that's good. You are right in doing this. You're righteous. And I'll praise you all the more. Wow. Outsiders, everybody else, even his own family might see this as, as a bad thing. You know, as God neglecting his child or, or, or where is your God? But it, it has been revealed to me, this prayer is saying, that you sent it. And God, you are good, therefore somehow it's good for me. Now that's deep. And that is sometimes very hard. And, and, and I want to tell you, I don't know how some very, very bad things um, can be from God for good. I can't answer that question about every uh, terrible crisis situation. But, but I do know that generally... More people come to God and are saved eternally, which is all that's really important. More people come to God and are saved eternally in bad times than in good times. And I do know that it's in times of crisis that people are forced sometimes to cry unto God and to depend upon God, because I've seen I've see, see it in in Africa over and over again, and, and we're starting to see it here in our country. Praise God. People are turning to Him. And I do also know that this prayer wasn't upset about the fact that, quote, God made him to see many troubles and calamities, which makes me believe that for him this wasn't a bad thing, but it was actually a comforting thought. I think verse 20 is meant to reassure the believer of God's control over all things. God's sovereign control and God's good control. It's, it's not like, you know, with, with a friend like that, who needs enemies? You know, with a God like that, who needs Satan? You know, no, it's, he finds comfort in verse 20. Though you have made me see troubles many and bitter. Now God loves his people. God has proved his love for us at the cross. God doesn't just react at some unanticipated crisis time. God is just not some kind of um, cosmic fire extinguisher. God knows each one of our crises and he makes his people to see and experience them for ultimate good. That's what the Bible says. That fact, in fact, reassures the mature believer. And this is a mature believer. This is deep stuff. Um, and, and if you're not a believer, it'll seem crazy. If you're a young believer, you'll have some trouble with it. This is for and is best understood by the mature, spiritually mature believer.
But, but there is still another chapter to be written here. Verse 20 ends up, you will restore my life again. I was reading some uh, a commentator on this. I think it was Matthew Henry. He said, the God of troubles is the God of revival. Isn't that comforting? The God of troubles is the God of revival. That's what the writer of this psalm has learned from experience, and, and many of you have as well. In fact, the most important verse for me in this psalm, as I've been studying it, is, is this verse 20. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities. Um, I was asked to consider preaching this about four weeks ago, and, and on a Friday night, about a, actually about a month ago, I said, oh, I better read this and find out what it's about. And so Friday night I went to bed and I just opened it up and I read the psalm and the verse that kind of blew me away to begin with was that verse 20, though you have made me see troubles many and bitter. Um, and then I read the rest of the psalm and went to bed. Got up early the next morning, I had a meeting with uh, some other uh, Bible study fellowship leaders and we had a prayer time and there was a guy who, who I could tell by his prayer request was, was having some big time crises. And he had lost almost half of his income with the economic troubles. Um, one child was in trouble with the law. Another child was in deep uh, problems to, to him uh, in a bad relationship. His wife had been involved in a car accident, and, uh, and that was traumatic and stressful. And then she developed a, a potentially very serious illness. And, and after class, I said, I said, let's talk a little bit. What's going on? And he, and he told me about his problems, and he said, let me tell you what this is like. And he got his Bible, and he opened it, and I said, I said to myself, I know where he's going. He, said, he opened to Psalm 71, verse 20, and he said, this is how I feel. God has made me see troubles many and bitter. And I said, yeah, but did you read the rest? God, who has made me see troubles many and bitter, will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, he will bring me up again. He will increase my honor. I said, that verse 20 is there to reassure you that God knows what's going on. And then the next week, I was in my office, and another Christian, I've been a Christian a long time, came into my office and and he had lost about everything, and what he hadn't lost, he was in the process of losing. He was having um, financial, relational, and some spiritual problems. And I said, just wait here, I've got to go get my Bible. I, I turned to Psalm 71, and I said to him, you know, God is, if you're a child of God, and as a, as a mature believer, you have to understand that God is involved in this. And God has been faithful in the past to you, and God will continue to be faithful to you. And, and, and actually, I was thinking, <laughs> Pastor Steve says, you know, you've got to preach this to yourself over and over again. That's what I told him. I said, you've got to preach this to yourself over and over and over again. That God has brought these, but God has been faithful to you, hasn't he? And, and I, I left that room in my office and I told him to get dressed and leave and see me in a week, in a month or so, I can't remember. And I, and I left and I went to see my next patient 
And my next patient is Lee Wilson. I mean, I had just given the, the first guy, I gave him theory and principles and truths from God's Word. An example, it's the writer of this psalm about the right way to do things. And I said, I've given him some stuff, but here's a man who has actually experienced it. What a coincidence. And so I, I, I waited out in the hall, and it took forever for this guy to get dressed. Um, and, and, and it finally comes out, and I say, listen, I've got to have you talk to a guy. So I opened up Lee's, the, the door to Lee's room, and I said, Lee, I've got to have you talk to this guy. Because he's, he's in crisis situation, and I've given him some facts, but he needs someone who's to talk to who's been, been through it. Um, and, I, and, and, you know, Lee's been through it. Um, he, he came, and I, I can't remember exactly the whole story, but I think it was in my office where we took a chest X-ray, and he had met, obviously metastatic cancer in his lung and, and, uh, and had some difficulty in diagnosing it and then started on treatment, and, and that didn't work well. So his, his doctor said, uh, basically, I'm, I'm not saying that things look bad, but... Uh, get all your things in order and do it quick. Now, if a doctor says that to you, he thinks things are bad. Um, and get it done quick. Uh, that was back in 2007. And so Lee had a chance to explain to him, you know, yeah, I was down exactly where you are, but God proved himself faithful. And after it was all over and, they'd, and Lee had talked to him, and I don't know exactly everything that was said, I said to Lee, maybe, uh, to Lee, maybe God caused your problem, caused you to see troubles and problems, maybe just to encourage and help this man. And Lee said, oh, no. I said, I've encouraged a lot more men than him uh, ever since. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you know, he said, I, if you know, uh, I had job and financial problems a lot. I got laid off and lost my retirement, and I thought that was the end of the world. Well, it wasn't. He got cancer then, so. Well, for this psalm writer, this, this prayer, what he's come to realize as he prays, he, re, he realizes um, that when God has faithfully and powerfully saved him and restored him from this particular current crisis, the result is that he's just going to have one more thing to praise God for. That's where he is as a spiritually mature person at his point in life. It's just a, a, a series of crises which he takes to God in faith, and he's said, God, here is something that you've either allowed or sent, and I don't, it doesn't matter if you're in it, one of the two. I've brought it before you. Uh, I, 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 I've trusted you before. I trust you in this one now. And I trust that you will work out your sovereign purpose through it. And I will rise again according to your power and your will and your goodness. And then I'll take this and I'll tell some other people about it. That's this mature believer. And then God takes him one step further as he kneels there. This man, he knelt down in crisis and despair over some problem. Um, his prayer, his fervent prayer is availing much. He's changing but also, before he rises from his time of prayer, God has assured him, God has made him keenly aware 
that this present problem would be taken care of as well. That's verse 24. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long for those who want to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. Now, things hadn't changed from the time he, he knelt down to pray to the end of his prayer. He hadn't gotten an email or a fax or anything like that. But God, during his time of prayer, had reassured him that this will work out as well, and it always does for the believer, no matter what the ending is. I, I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, my favorite guys. They say, hey, we're not going to bow down, and our God can save us, and if he doesn't, that's all right. I mean, same thing. We're, we're all going to die, and God's going to take us home, and oh, it's all going to be okay in the end. And that's what God had reassured him. Those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. It's a done deal. I live in an old, older home, and downstairs is where I take my showers. I went there, and I, I turned on the shower, got in the shower, and there's this black spider there, and I said, you're dead. Well, he wasn't dead, but he was as good as dead. And he was dead pretty soon. But, but that's what he says here. This problem is over. It's dead. God has taken care of it. But this man is left with one final terrible crisis. We're just about done. Uh, this is a, tri a, a, a concern and a worry and a trouble for everyone in middle age. This is just for you middle-agers. And he's concerned about Alzheimer's disease. Um, what concerns him now, what really concerns him, is that he wants his mind to remain sharp just so that he can tell other, uh, others about God's wonderful deeds, including God's answer to this present crisis situation, whatever that answer is going to be. Really, he's saying, just like we learned last week, Bless me in this, you know, you know, deliver me from this so that I can bless somebody else by telling them about it. Isn't that beautiful? That's Psalm 67 that we learned last week. God saved this man. Uh, God let him see troubles many and bitter. Uh, God led him through them and God will let him lead him through this one as well. And this man just wants a sharp mind so that he can tell others about it. Isn't that amazing? Verse 18 says this, Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, to those, to your might to all who are to come. So the final principle is, is for you middle-agers uh, in this. Um, there's a big difference between wanting your mind to stay sharp when you get old till you die just so that you don't end up at the Silverado Care Center versus wanting your mind to stay sharp so that all your life long you can praise God and tell others about His mighty deeds and His rightness and all that He has done in your life. If your reason to not want Alzheimer's is the latter, you know, that's good. I mean, is, do you want Alzheimer's so you can, in, don't, do you don't want Alzheimer's so that you can enjoy retirement or, or, or not be a burden or not be dependent? Or do you not want Alzheimer's so that you can bring glory to God by telling others of his goodness?
If it's the latter, that's good. And so what are you doing now? How are you living by faith now? Um, how are you trusting God? Because that's how you'll be able to tell others of His glorious deeds. You need to be an example. You want to experience His deeds of deliverance just so that you have something to share with your kids and your grandkids and the next generation. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, we worship you as God who is sovereign over all things, but especially sovereign over every part of the lives of your children. God, we ask that you would help us to grow in faith and trust and obedience so that we can become mature like the writer of this song. And so that in our crisis times, you know, we don't go to the phone, but we go to your throne and on our knees. As we pray in our times of crisis, please remind us of your faithfulness and your love. Remind us of the cross. Give us confidence in you and your love. Forgive us when we continue on in stress and distress and make it appear to others that you're weak or don't care, that you're not watching over us. God, help us to increasingly become confident that what you send or allow you will work out for our good because you said so. God, some of us need to be revived and restored and raised up and comforted. Soon we think, would you just do that when it's the right time to do it? We thank you that you have triumphed over evil and that one day all who want to harm us, including Satan, will in fact be put to shame and confusion forever. Lord, in our times of trials and stress and crisis, help us just simply to trust you and obey you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.